As we continue to build back better, it is vital that everyone is included. For this week's Better Manager podcast, Anne Franker is joined by Jill Whitty Collins, consultant, board member, executive coach, and author of Why Men Win at Work, to explore the contents of our latest publication and gender equality in the workplace. Welcome, Jill. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Lovely to be here with you. Well, we've got to start with the very obvious question. So, Jill, why do men win at work? And why did you decide to write a book about it? Yes, obviously, this this is the big question. Um, And, you know, there is actually quite a simple answer um, to the question at the first level. Um, and, And the simple answer is that men win at work because when the people who make the decisions about who they're going to promote or give a job to or, you know, give a project to and make that decision. It's not that they go into it thinking I must put a man in this role. They often, often the opposite, actually. But, but they make the decision because they choose the person, obviously, that they think is the best. And most of the time they think the man is better. Um, of course, they choose the person they think it's, is best. It's in their interest too. And particularly when we get to the more senior levels, you know, nine times out of 10, um, they choose the man and they think the man is better. But obviously that can't be right um, because we know that women are 50% of the population. We know women have equal intelligence, equal capability, equal leadership ability. So it can't possibly be true 90% of the time that the man's better. Um, maybe 50% of the time, we could argue, but but not 90% of the time. So I guess the real question um, that is interesting for me is, why does that happen then? Why do we so often conclude that the man is better when um, actually 50% of the time he isn't? And that's obviously a lot more complex. And that is a combination of lots and lots of things, including many, many invisible unconscious you know even unintended things that are combining to make us have that perception including what I call the invisible power of culture and how a male dominant culture impacts performance and perception positively for men not positively um, for women the competence versus confidence equation and how we're all very drawn to confidence but obviously in general and it's a generalization, women are less confident. So we can often choose a confident person instead of a competent person. Um, And then my favorite, the umbrella theory, which is, you know, really all about men being a lot more savvy about the fact that um, the myth of meritocracy doesn't actually really work. um, And that you need to make your work visible, not just do the work, make it visible, make yourself visible, come out from under your umbrella so that your your boss can see you. And it's all, you know, all combining to this invisible ceiling that, you know, we, we can't see, but it's the, all these things are there and they're holding back barriers. And, you know, as, as I started, as I got more and more senior, I didn't really see it when I was younger. Um, but as I got more and more senior, particularly at the senior vice president level, I, I really started to see these things, became very fascinated by them and started to think about them and research them and made myself a promise that when I left that job I was gonna write a book about it and um, get it all down and and so you did and it's quite interesting what you said about um, 
you know, you didn't notice it when you were younger. And I think um, what 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 we call that at CMI is the glass pyramid. And that's because, for example, when um, you were on my team, we had a very gender balanced team, right? Now we were middle managers, right? Brand managers, you know, not certainly not um, um, uh, senior vice president level. Um, so, but, but what happens is as you, because women don't progress for all the reasons you're saying, they get fewer and fewer uh, up at the top of the leadership ranks, right? Um, and by the time you get to the top, you know, nine out of 10 are, are, are often male. Um, I guess my next question is going to attract an obvious answer. So, you know, what about the progress we've made or lack of progress we've made at the leadership levels in organizations? And what do you think needs to happen on the part of employers and government and individuals to accelerate progress on this issue? You know, I'm going to say I think our progress is it, it, pathetic. I think it's it's pathetic. Um, and I think, you know, every, every what happens is that every time a woman's promoted to CEO or every woman prime minister in the world is very visible. You know, we make them very, very visible, but and we celebrate them. But that's. I think it's just creating a facade of gender equality, to be honest, that a lot of people are believing. And if we just pause a second to look at the facts, as you've said, I mean, 7% of CEOs are women, 7. 50% of the population becomes 7% of the CEOs, 9% of, of heads of state. So, I mean, I just think we're absolutely stuck on this. And I, I don't think we're going anywhere honestly without manual intervention I, I, I think we will absolutely stay stuck and so you know to your question I this is why I've come to believe and I didn't used to but this is why I've really come to believe in the manual intervention of the 50-50 target for companies and for organizations and I've come to think it's actually the only way that we're gonna fix it and I know that it's controversial but you know, it's 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 self-fulfilling prophecy. This for all of those reasons, all of those invisible forces, um, and they're so strong. Those forces that that if we don't do something really intentional, they'll just keep directing us towards inequality, and they'll just keep directing us to choose unconsciously the man nine times out of ten. So. Um, I, I think we, we've got to do some really, really big stuff. Otherwise, honestly, I do think we'll be sitting here in 100, 100 years still stuck in the same place. Mm, yeah, well, the World Economic Forum does say it'll be over 100 years at this pace. I think they're optimistic. I think it's eternity at this rate. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. But again, if you said, so what you're saying is, and, and this makes sense to me because at the bottom level of organizations, you know, the, the bottom quartile, it is 50-50, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know, the recruitment in at the bottom is that. So what you're saying is just keep that promotion rate 50-50 all the way up to the top. Mm -hmm. um, that seems um, logical and a great suggestion to me. Um, but now, do you think that older women, so one of my recent guests, Eleanor Mills, um, just founded something for the 50 plus woman called noon because she says 50 plus women are particularly vulnerable vulnerable to be shed from leadership positions um do you think that's true do you think that um and she says they need a plan b um do you think that's true do you think um 50 plus women face particular challenges 
yeah I, I absolutely do I think we've all we've all seen it and you know I think it's obvious really isn't it all those invisible forces that are throughout the career making us conclude so often that the man is better are exactly the same forces that come into play you know when when we get into our 50s and redundancies and you know people get expensive people start looking for the redundancy candidates all those same forces are at play as the decisions are being made about who to keep and who to let go it's 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 the reverse dynamic but it's it's exactly the same forces and um, they're going to nine times out of ten conclude that the man is better even even when he isn't actually so um I think it 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 it, it does get very tough and, and clearly we need to address all of those things and I'm absolutely not saying we, we don't but you know I'll tell you what I would say to any woman any person actually but any woman out there who is um you know reaching that stage or has reached that stage and is afraid of it do not be afraid you have nothing to fear you're going to be absolutely fine and you know I think one of the things we do particularly when we're in a company for a long time is we start to believe that our value as a person but also you know as a worker as a contributor is somehow linked to the company or organization that we work for and it's just it's rubbish it it, it just isn't these are these are your talents um you know these are your capabilities this is your intelligence you were just loaning that to the company you just you know they were borrowing it from you they were buying it from you it's yours it's not theirs you know if for whatever reason things work out don't work out and it's time to move on take all those brilliant talents and just go find something else really wonderful to do with them. I think it's in many ways the best thing that can happen to you at 50, but it shouldn't happen. And I absolutely think that we've got to work on those forces. Of course we have. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And um, obviously I've been there and I know, you know, that that, um, that, that you are now there as well. And, and, and the point that women, um, senior women that decide for whatever reason um, to switch industries or switch jobs, um, whether it's their own choice or whether they they face redundancy, have to have a plan B, right? Mm. And that's even more true in this pandemic. COVID has made things worse for women, not better. Um, what about what management and leadership practices do you think we've seen um, that can work for women as we emerge from the pandemic? And which so which of those would you say, yeah, keep that? And and what do you think needs to change? Well, I think what I'm going to start with what needs to change. Let's start with the negative. I think we've we've got to lose this always on thing that seems to have happened to us in the last 18 months. And I know it was always there, but I think it's got worse. And this expectation to be always on somehow because we're we're at home. I I and my simple brain doesn't get it. it's it's super unhealthy. My simple brain says I don't understand why we can't all switch the laptop off. At the, at the time we used to leave the office, I, I, I don't, I don't get that. I think we've got, we've got to lose it, and we've got to lose that urgently because I think it's making some people really, really unhealthy mentally and physically. Um, but obviously, in terms of you know what to keep, I, I mean, the the most brilliant thing about the last year, if there is anything brilliant about it, I think is it really has proved, hasn't it, that flexible working does work, and that if you have good employees. You can trust them to work. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. will work anywhere 
for you. And you know what? Sometimes they'll even work harder than they would work if you were actually forcing them to do a commute to come to the office. So I think we this is one thing we need to remember forever that this this does work. And, you know, if you can't trust your employees, that's a different issue. Right. But if if you've got employees you can trust, trust them that that they'll, they'll work anyway. But I think the biggest thing that's important for me is that that isn't just for women and it shouldn't just be for women. I think one of the key things that we have to do now is we transition back. Well, if we transition back, who knows what the news changes every day. But um, is that when when employers make flexible work policies or hybrid work policies, they really do make them gender neutral. Because I do think one of the issues is the expectation that, you know, it, these are for women. These are mom policies. These are things that people who are not 100 percent committed to their career need. These need to be for everybody, because I think that's the only way we'll get to true equality we'll get we'll get to the equality in the home that comes from having flexibility which will lead us to the equality at work but yeah I really hope we don't forget this lesson I see some people forgetting it already so I think we need to remember that constantly remind them so much in what you said there that obviously we agree with at CMI and by the way a couple of things you said first of all trust your workers and they'll be productive. We know that, okay? When we did some big research earlier in the year with lots of um, managers and employees, and guess what? When you trust your employees, productivity goes up. And when you don't trust your employees, it goes down. Surprise, Um, right? So that's absolutely right. The other thing you said that's so true is men as well as women want to keep working flexibly, right? Um, So again, um, over half of all parents of either sex, and, and actually 85% of all managers want to keep this hybrid working. So it's really important that employers do remember that. Um, I think that that's a, a great point. But you you talked about hybrid working, and you talked about some people forgetting that lesson already. You know, what do you think the role of the office is going to be as we um, move to this, hopefully move to this future of hybrid working? And how do we prevent what you mentioned happening where, you know, all the men rush back into the office and the women continue to work from home? What do you want to see happen? I think it yeah, it comes back to first and foremost that absolute um, clarity from employers that flexible work policies are gender neutral and they're not just gender neutral on paper, they're mm-hmm. absolutely gender neutral in practice as well. Because I as you 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 said it, Anne, I know so many men have written to me this year saying, Jill, you talk a lot about us not being 50-50 at home. I actually want to be 50-50 at home, but it's not supported by my employer. My employer really, you know kind of raises their eyebrows if I ask for flexibility but they completely accept it when the women do I mean that's just sexist the other way around and um so yes I absolutely think that um making it gender neutral so that it you know there there really should be no reason in my ideal paradise equality world you know there's there's no reason why men should be more in the office than women or men should be less at home than the women for me what hybrid work should mean is it, it you you truly you work you work you do your work but you do it where you need and want to do it and that doesn't mean you have to go to your employer whether you're a man or a woman and say can I work from home every Friday please it's just it's just a given you work where I want bosses to say why are you asking me about where you want to work work where you want just mm-hmm. you know just dial in for what you need to dial in for and deliver the work so for me that's what I'd love to see having said that 
I, I'm not giving up on the office. I don't know about you, but I, I've spoken to a lot of people who have missed the office. Mm -hmm. They have missed, they've missed that line between work and home, which yep. I think has caused, uh, caused work to drift too much into evenings and weekends. They have missed that, just that spontaneous interaction that you have that doesn't happen in, in, in Zoom meetings. Um, I, I think we will want to go to the office and I th certainly think we'll want to go to the office when we need to interact as a team and we want to interact as a team. So I just see it as being much more office space, being much more flexible. I think they'll probably need less office space, mm -hmm. but I always think we're going to, to want to be together sometimes in an office. And then sometimes, yeah. you know what, in our own office, with our head down, with nobody disturbing us, getting some some crap done. <laughs> yeah, no, I think yeah. you're absolutely right. And um, our research has also said, shown that, you know, younger people in particular miss out on development when they're not in the office. They miss the office more and more, more likely their social lives revolve around mm -hmm. the office more. But, you know, and as you say, we all miss those water cooler moments or just kicking back with colleagues and you know, um, you know, bantering and, and actually out of that comes ideas, right? But less office space, um, it seems, is, is um, the, the, what we're going to see. I think that's a, a, a pretty widespread trend. But now I have to ask last question before we open it up for questions. What lessons have you learned personally as a leader during COVID? And what advice would you give to our listeners as to how they can best shape their careers post-COVID? So, you know, I, I think I, I, I was saying this to you the other day, I think I've learned more about leadership since I stopped being a leader than I ever did when I was a leader. And I tell you, I would do it very, very differently now. But I think one of the most powerful things I've learned, particularly through COVID, actually, is, you know, my belief in the power of diversity in a team is stronger than it ever was. And it was always strong. It's stronger than it ever was because, you know, we've seen some real mess ups, haven't we, from not having diversity in the team. I, I laughed out loud when I saw that article where uh, I think the London School of Economics had, had basically researched and said that the government didn't have uh, women in, in the room to discuss COVID um, plans and policies. So they should have had a gender expert there. And you think, no, they didn't need a gender expert there. They just needed some women there. That's what they needed. So, you know, I, I think my big advice to any leader, if you're not doing it already, is look around you, look at your team. Every time you go into a meeting with your team, whether it's real or virtual, look around you. Do you see a dominant culture? And if you do, you've got a problem and you need to act now because if you see a dominant culture, you don't have diversity. That means you are you're not getting the best out of everyone. You're not getting the best inputs, the best discussions, the best ideas. And therefore, you're going to miss things. You're just going to miss things. You're going to make incomplete decisions. You're, you're going to get inferior results to the results and outcomes that you could have got. So I would be obsessed about that now. If I was a CEO now, I would be. Um, alarm bells would go be going on for me we should be looking at our team and we should be looking at a load of people who look and sound nothing like each other that that's the diversity dream and it's not just hey let's do that because that's nice that will lead to better right. outcomes I'm certain of it yeah well there's a lot of research that says you're absolutely right diverse teams make better decisions and when you have group think you make very bad decisions yeah, um, and that's really what you're saying and I could not agree with you more on that 
And indeed, great advice. Look at your team. If they're not diverse, do something about it, right? You're getting it wrong. Okay, first question from Jackie. You mentioned earlier in the interview that women suffer more from confidence issues than men do. What strategies would you recommend for women to counter this and believe more in themselves, their skills and abilities? Yes, great question. Um, the big thing about confidence for me is, is, is that firstly, just accepting it is important. It's, it's human for us to be drawn to confident people. We trust them. They trust themselves, so we trust them. So I think, you know, anyone who doesn't naturally feel strong confidence does need to address that. But I actually believe, you know, we know that women are generally less, not always true, they're generally less confident for reasons that start in childhood, at school, perfectionist syndrome develops, all of that stuff. I deeply believe that everybody has confidence inside them and they just got to find it. And I'm a huge, huge fan of using something like StrengthsFind, big fan of StrengthsFinder, mm-hmm. using something like StrengthsFinder, take that time as early as possible in your career. I did it too late as early as possible in your career to really understand your strengths. What are your strengths? There are some things you're not good at. None of us, all of us are not good at some stuff. There are some things that are your talents, they're unique to you, and they are your superpowers. Knowing those as early as you can, and then speaking from there, working from there. So when you're in meetings or you're in those situations, if you're coming from there, from that confident core that you just know, is like, you know what? You can shake me on some things, but on these things, you can't shake me. My number one strength and strength finder is strategic, right? Mm-hmm. People can have a go at me. But if anyone tries to question that, I bet you know I'm not having, I mean, I just, I just would find that laughable. That's what you need to get to. I just know this because when you speak from there and you work from there, people will feel it. That will be genuine confidence, not, not trying to fake confidence, which doesn't work. It's not authentic. So yeah, do, if you haven't done it already, just take some time. It doesn't take long. And just really find those things that are your confident core would be my advice. Great advice. Um, question from Natasha. How can we face the challenge and keep positive given such inequality? It affects psychology and self-esteem. Oh, I know. I mean, you know, I have obviously I work a lot in this area and I have I do have days when I think, oh, my goodness, this is um, it is. We are so stuck here and the progress is pathetic. Um but they're not often it's not often because mostly what I feel is I guess like anything in life, we've just got to keep, we've got to keep going, haven't we? And I I think the biggest thing that probably keeps me positive is, well, firstly, that I just don't want us to hand this on to the next generation, because I think they are in their raw form, this new generation, they don't even understand it. Before they go into the workplace, they don't even understand it. They're like, I, I honestly don't understand why on earth you would think that a woman wasn't as good as a man or, and yet we're going to send them into this workplace and we're going to, direct them towards inequality so let's not do that to them we've got to just keep going and 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 keep fighting and the other thing that keeps me positive is the intentions you know the the biggest thing that I've learned in writing this book and in talking about this book and in talking about this issue I don't get a lot of men coming to me saying Jill I disagree with you I don't think women are equal I don't think they should be equal I'd like to build the patriarchy and destroy women that's not what I get what I get is a lot of women's a lot of men saying I absolutely consider myself a, a feminist I absolutely support women I absolutely want to want to do this help me understand how I'm contributing to this and 
you know, they'll read the book or they'll have a discussion and they'll say, I know what to do now and I'm doing different things today because of it. This is caused by many, many, many complex things. Most of them are, are unintended and we can work with that. Um, we can work with that. If people have good intentions, we can get there. So most days, most days, Natasha, I'm positive. That's great. And, and you're right. You know, people want help and they need help. And so Tariq is asking, what are your observations about different attitudes to diversity across the globe? And where do people get this right? So there are definitely different attitudes um, and there's there's different there are different levels of progress. I don't see anywhere where they're getting it, what I would call perfectly right. Nowhere is gender equality paradise yet. Um, but I think there's no doubt that, you know, um, countries like Sweden, um, Norway, Denmark, Finland are making um, more progress. They are closer. And one of the key reasons for that is, um, is for example, gender neutral par um, parental policies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Sweden, they, they have a gender neutral parental policy. A man is entitled to take as much um, paternity leave as a woman is entitled to take maternity leave, I think, excluding the biological recovery. But so they really, really believe in this. And by the way, their childcare is fantastic. Yeah. You know, if you look at the UK, you know, childcare is inaccessible. And it's unaffordable for some women. Childcare is eating up their, the entirety of their monthly salary. If we make childcare inaccessible and unaffordable, usually the consequence will be that, it, that it's the woman who gives up her career um, or downsizes it, not the man. Usually, so it's just a, it's just an absolute recipe for gender inequality. So again, countries like um, Sweden, Germany, also Korea, by the way, have fantastic childcare policies where I think from the age of one basically either free or um, at a very low percentage of your salary, you can have your child in um, full-time childcare. So some countries are definitely um, ahead of the game. And I'm, we're seeing some countries now actually in, in other countries introducing gender neutral parental leave. So hopefully we'll, we'll follow. But I can't give you, an, I can't tell you, yes, this go to this, move to this country. They've got it completely sorted. Um, but the Northern countries are on your radar, right? Um, but, you know, the German thing, they do have those um, gender neutral parental policies, but they've just made it a law to have quotas in the executive ranks because they haven't cracked that, you know, yeah. despite having Angela Merkel as a leader. I know. Um, I, I mean, I'm you know, the target they set for women on boards was one. I know. And to me, that's, that's an embarrassment and it's patronizing yeah. and it's sexist. So, so, yes, definitely not putting them up there as a <laughs> gender equality paradise yet. No, so much progress still to be made. Um, so last question here is from Jason. Are the problems we face today a result of perennial male bias? Or do you think it's more about workplace customs and government policy instruments needing to become more innovative to catch up with more progressive attitudes that are now emerging? I think in two parts to that, I, I don't necessarily look at it as as um brutally as this is a result of perennial male bias because I think that sounds more intentional than it is I think in most cases the bias is unconscious and, it, and it's unintended what it comes from is the male dominant culture so in most workplaces not all but in most at the senior levels you'll have a male dominant culture and that just by definite doesn't realize it's doing it but it's just reinforcing itself constantly 
because you, you just men feel more included belonging they perform better um, it doesn't realize it's happening. It's the goldfish in the bowl. You ask it, how's the water? And it says, what water? That's it. It's, it, it, it's not intended, but it is happening. But yes, because of all these things, I think the second part of your question is, is absolutely right. I think we need employer policies, but also government policies to just intervene and say, you know, this is going, this self-fulfilling prophecy is going to continue to fulfill itself until eternity unless we actually intervene and change some things on you know for example setting targets calling out 50 50 as non-negotiable calling out gender neutral flexible work policies parental policies providing childcare so the woman doesn't have to decide to drop out manual interventions i i, I hate it but i don't think we're going to get anywhere without them to be honest well and and what a clear um list you've given us um, so everybody listening, very clear list of what you can do um, to tackle this perennial problem. Jill, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Why Men Win at Work, a great book where you can get all of this advice. Take care. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast edition of Better Managers Briefing with Anne Franca, CEO of the Chartered Management Institute. We hope you've enjoyed listening. CMI members can now access more content and insights around the subject raised in this podcast through our Management Direct portal. If you're new to CMI or yet to access our range of management and leadership resources and other benefits of membership, please visit www.managers.org.uk forward slash Management Direct.